The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. People are too afraid to just say what they actually think about this. And a lot of it is our empathy being used against us, but it's been used against us in such a way that this, this lie, this insanity has taken over our culture. Hello and welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall for The Spectator. Today I'm in Nashville with author, filmmaker, and host of The Matt Walsh Show at The Daily Wire, Matt Walsh. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time hey, to thank, speak with me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you to your team for this wonderful setup. Very accommodating. Yeah, I mean, they they gave you a table and some chairs. I don't know how much they went uh, all out, but you know. Matt, it's uh, been, I guess, what June twenty twenty two was when you put out "What Is a Woman?" Your film. I should start with a hardball question: What is a woman? Well, I was told finally an adult human female is what a woman is. Turns out it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more that could be said about women and about individual women, obviously, but, and people have uh, pointed it out to me after the film came out that, because of course at the end of the film, we, spoiler alert, we do have the answer. And that's one criticism I've, I've heard from some people. It's like, well, yeah, a woman is that, but she's a lot more than that. So isn't that a little bit reductive to just say a woman is an adult human female? And of course, there's a lot more you can say about an individual person, but we need to have the, the simple biological definition in place first. Mm-hmm. So you can build from there. So that's, that's the simple definition. I see. And so in America, now you have to excuse me because I'm very aware of what's going on in, in my country, but, but here, in terms of the politics of the gender wars, let's say, or the politics of the trans issue, what was the state when you put the film out and how do you think it's changed? Do you, do you, have you seen an impact of your film on the, uh, the politics of the issue here? Yeah, I think I think I have. Uh, I, you know, the, the film has had. Very glad to say that the film has had uh, a, a, even a larger impact than we expected. We knew when we were filming it, especially once we started getting footage, we knew that we had something. We had something. You know, we had something special. But uh, it's had uh, an even bigger impact than I expected. It's it's not just the film though. There's also been there's been a, a uh, an organized pushback finally against this gender ideology madness. Of course, I'm part of that. The film's part of that. But we're not the only ones um, doing it. And I think over the last, uh, I don't know, six to eight months, we've, we, I, I, it, it seems to me the pendulum is swinging a little bit in the other direction. And uh, I think that the you know, team sanity has some, has, uh, is picking up momentum. So um, what does that look like? What does the pushback look like? Well, there's, it's on different levels. There's, of course, the legislative level. Now we have in Tennessee, they're passing a law that bans the uh, mutilation of children, the, the gender transition of children. Several other states have already passed laws. A bunch of other states are, are debating laws. Uh, now, you go back a couple of years ago, it didn't exist. There was, no, there was no effort at all to even ban the mutilation of children. Uh, and now it is, it's become at least, you know, if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, it's now, it's, you know, it's, it's an issue. And um, there's, a, there's unity around, this, around the issue. Um, so that's the legislative piece. And also, I think... I think and this is a little bit harder to quantify, but I, I think culturally I've noticed in the last few months, people in general seem more willing to just be honest about how they feel about all this stuff. Because the fact is that 
most people, you know, when a guy that looks like you or I walks into a room and says, I'm a woman, most people think, well, that's absurd. Of course you're not. But for years, people have been convinced to suppress that normal reaction and instead sort of cooperate with it or entertain it, humor it. Um, And that's had disastrous, a disastrous impact. But it seems to me that recently that seems to be... uh, Changing a little bit. More, more people are willing to notice that the emperor has, has no clothes. I want, I'm, I'm curious about whether it's really most. And so, for example, in Britain, at the polls, we just saw with Nicola Sturgeon, I was telling you this before we were recording, she, she went down 6% in the polls because she wasn't able to stand up against the, the, the male who was in the female prisons, the, the male rapist. But in this country, my impression has been that it's actually split quite down political lines. In fact, I'll add to that. In Britain, it's split parties that you have members of Labour Party, traditional leftists who fall on a different side. And similar to how Brexit was, it wasn't a right-left issue. It wasn't, it split both parties, Brexit or leave or remain. And I think there's a similar thing happening in Britain on this issue. And I wondered here in America, is that the same thing? Are Are there conservatives who... Has it split the conservatives? Has it split the liberals? Or is it sort of more a liberal versus conservative issue? I mean, broadly speaking, it's liberal versus conservative. But the, the progress has been in that, you know, the people on the right, most of them now are willing to speak out against this. Whereas for a long time, even people that were on the right and who saw it for the madness that it is, many of them weren't willing to say so because they were afraid. You know, they were just afraid. They were afraid of, uh, of being called a bigot or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still broadly a right versus left issue. But I, I think, and again, hard to quantify, but I think that the majority of people who identify as liberal don't really buy a lot of this. You know, this, to me, seems to be something that's being pushed by a very loud minority and then by our institutions. Our institutions are totally, when I say institutions, I mean academia, media, government, Hollywood, the medical institution, they fully bought in to gender ideology completely. Is and that I, changing? Is that? I hope so, but not. But but the, if there are any changes, they're relatively imperspe- imperceptible right now. I, I think that there there are more uh, doctors that are coming out, but still not very many. You know, you you see you see some people within these institutions, my, small minorities that are willing to speak out, but uh, but for them, you know, the consequences are much more dire. I mean, if you're a doctor and you come out and say, no, we shouldn't be doing this to kids. No, a man's a man, a woman is a woman. You know. You can get plastic surgery, but you're not ever going to actually be a woman if you're a male. To say that as a member of the medical profession brands you as a transphobic extremist, and that's what you are now. And I think for a lot of people in institutions, that, that is enough to terrify them into have silence. There, have there been any examples of that, of, of any doctors specifically who have lost or had professional repercussions? Sure. I mean, we have some of them in our, in our film. We talked to... Uh, uh, particularly um, psychiatrists and therapists, you know, people that are in, especially in the, in the psychiatric kind of world of, of medicine. I mean, Jordan Peterson's a big example. Right. Who have, who have spoken out against this and then have been, have been uh, sort of cast out of, mm. of the polite society of their profession because of, because of speaking out against it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that was very illuminating for me is something I did not know before going to film, despite having read quite a lot on this issue, is, is the two characters, Alfred Kinsey and John Money. What's the story with those guys, if you wouldn't mind reminding me? Sure, you know, and, and the thing is, 
I think for a lot of people, they it seems like this stuff came out of nowhere, you know, eight or nine years ago. Maybe it came out of nowhere right around the time that Bruce Jenner came out as Caitlyn. And that's the first time that it became an issue in the eyes of uh, the general public, I think. But it but it, it, it existed before that. It preexisted that. And so if you want to find the exact starting point, you can kind of decide how far back you want to go. So a little bit of it, it's, it's, it's slightly arbitrary because no matter where you go, you say that's the starting point. Well, there are people influenced those people. So, but I think that a, a landmark moment, if you want to look at, at landmark moments, you can go to uh, Alfred Kinsey and John Money. And these were psychiatrists and so-called sexologists in the mid-20th century. Alfred Kinsey was... You know, his, his big idea was that human beings are sexual from birth. Even babies are, are sexual creatures. And he had these, we talk about in the film, he had these horrific, unimaginable experiments that he conducted to try to prove this, which really the experiments involved simply just raping children. And so you have, and that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of what we call comprehensive sex education. And a lot of the stuff we see in the schools now things that like in Florida that they're trying to get out of their school system. Well, that, that traces back to, to Alfred Kinsey. Mm-hmm. On the gender issue in particular, that's where John Money comes into play. And he, you know, he coined the term gender identity. The, the whole concept actually of human beings having a gender, he was one of the pioneers of that idea. Because before John Money, it was you were a man or a woman. You had a, human beings have a sex. Uh, words have gender, you know talk about masculine and feminine words, but the idea that a person has both a sex and a gender, that was pioneered by guys like Isn't John that a feminist thing? I thought that was second wave feminism, where the idea that it's not just about your sex, it's how you're perceived in society. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, well, we can talk about this later, but that's, I think that you can trace, there's, there's been a close relationship between gender ideology and feminism, and they've shared a lot of ideas. And in recent years, there's been, at least among some feminists, this split Hmm. And there are even feminists who think that you know feminism alone is the uh, is the the weapon that can be used to take down gender ideology. But I think they don't understand that these two things are sides of the same coin. Uh, but you know that's in the in around the mid twentieth centuries where this idea first came into prominence that a human being you know it's 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 too simple to just say men and women. We need this other concept of gender, which really has had the effect of complicating things in a way that, that was totally unnecessary. And it's always been kind of, this one thing in the film, I, I, I talk to, I ask a lot of these so-called experts, well, what exactly is gender? And, and you know, as opposed to sex. And hmm. Why do we need this concept of gender? And um, you never get a very clear answer because it's very sort of amorphous. And it turns out that gender can just sort of be whatever they need it to be in the moment, rhetorically. And anyway, they've kind of, in recent years, you know, they, they invented this sex versus gender distinction in the last few years, they, they have collapsed that distinction effectively. They haven't said they've done it, but that's what they've done because they will tell us now that, well, a man who identifies as a woman isn't just acting as a woman in the world. He isn't just participating in the socially constructed idea of womanhood. He, they will say he actually is a woman. He is literally a woman, which so they have then collapsed that sex versus gender distinction that they themselves engineer. I think it was kind of a sleight of hand trick and they... It's it's outlived its usefulness. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a new thing. Again, in Britain, that it's the feminists or traditional feminists, a lot of them from the left, famously like J.K. Rowling or Suzanne Moore or 
Julie Bindle, Kathleen Stock, who have had professional repercussions very much for their, their opinions, have been leading the charts on the, on the feminist thing. It it's, doesn't seem like that's the same story here. The charge against gender ideology hasn't necessarily come from feminists. Am I wrong in thinking that? No, you're not. It hasn't at all. You know, in, in America, it's been the pushback against gender ideology is almost entirely a conservative thing. And not because I, I, I am a conservative, but I don't say that because I want it to be the case. I wish that it was a broader coalition. But for the most part, it is considered like conservative. That's a conservative position. Now, there are some people who would identify more as liberals who have uh, expressed skepticism about this, somebody like Bill Maher and mm. guys like that. But they're, they're, in, they're outliers, I think, in their I don't understand world. how someone like, do you remember Demi Minor? It's the in, uh, transgender who was locked in, into prison in New Jersey and raped two other female, actual female prison uh, inmates. Yeah. How an incident like that doesn't shock American feminists? It's such a, it's such a, it's so, everything they've been fighting for, for the security of women, surely some, someone like Demi Minor would set off the alarm bells. Has that, it's, has that not happened? Uh, I think it, ha- it, it has only in, uh, in small doses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think g- generally speaking, I mean, in fact, I, I have tested this because I went to the Women's March, Feminist March in D.C., and asked about, asked, about this, asked about this issue of gender ideology. And what I encountered was uh, nearly 100% on board for the trans, what they call trans rights. It should shock them, and it should wake them up. Why it hasn't is a good question. I think it has, I think there's a lot. Some of it is tribalism. I think they just associate now it's it's to be to be um, anti-gender ideology because they associate with conservatism. They say, well, I don't want to be I don't want to be with the likes of you know I don't want to be like that guy. Mm. Um, so some of it is just a tribalistic thing, and some of it is is this intersectionality. It's just kind of uh, the sort of victim hierarchy on the left that they feel beholden to, and on the left, the left wing ideology is that you know there are there's this hierarchy of victimhood. And sort of the uber victims are uh, trans people. Mm-hmm. And so anytime there's a conflict between groups or con- conflicting rights claims, like the trans person says, I have a right to access the women's room. And the woman says, well, I have a right to privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the left, because of their intersectionality victimhood math, the trans person, that he wins out because he's uh, more oppressed and he's a, the, the, the greater victim. So, so it's, if it's just conservatives coalescing against this. Yeah, not, not just, but... Well, mainly. Mainly, yeah. What, how do you see things moving forward? Where, where, does, where does progress... What does progress look like for you in the movement? Well, I think it's, it, 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 again, is in, is in various different facets. It continues on the legislative area. Uh, you know, there should be... This is a, it's a good place to start. Now, I'm not, I'm not satisfied to just say, well, the red states will ban the mutilation of minors, and we'll leave it at that. I'm not saying that at all, because there are still kids in all these other states. We're not going to abandon them. But I think we do have to start there. And there are a lot of uh, states where we should have political sway, and we're finally starting to see movement there. So I think that's, that's a lot of the progress. And then on a culture-wide level, I think it's about just em- emboldening people, sort of get, letting them know they have permission to be sane and to uh, speak the truth. Because we talk about the left versus right distinction, but the reality is most average people 
probably don't think of themselves as terribly ideo- ideological and aren't very ideological. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you're a dyed-in-the-wool leftist and you're all into the intersectionality, it's going to be very hard to reach those people. But I think there are a lot of people in the middle, sort of, who can be, uh, who can be reached. Do you th- are there people... Do you, are you in dialogue with any sort of progressives of people who have different opinions? You, are you able to have constructive conversations? Are there any individuals you are having constructive conversations with on this issue? No, I wish. You know, I, I even um, here in Tennessee, I mentioned the law that we're that we're uh, that's going to be passed, banning this. And uh, I have reached out to some. You know, the Democrats in this state are against the law; they don't want it to pass. So, I reached out to some of the Democrats and invited them. Let's let's have a debate about it. You know, let's sit down like we're right now, and you explain to me why it's okay to do this to a child. Mm-hmm. But they're just they're not interested in in having a conversation. I, I think that they, I can't read their minds, but I think at some level they know that their position is indefensible, mm-hmm. and they're not going to put themselves in a position where they're facing someone who's actually skeptical of their worldview because they can't they can't defend it. It's just, it's impossible to defend. How, how are you going to sit across from somebody and look them in the eye and tell them, yeah, you know what, it, sometimes it's the right thing to amputate a 14-year-old girl's healthy breast. Like, it, I think they recognize that they can't, they can make that argument to, to a crowd that already agrees with them, but to talk to someone who doesn't, it's just, it all falls apart. Is it the, is it the children aspect that is so emotional for you? Because, so I see it that there's, there's the, the aspect of the mutilation of children and uh, the hormone blockers, etc. Then there's also the mutilation of the truth, you could say, or mm-hmm. the, the distortion of, of truth, the concept of truth that's played with. And another thing, which, which probably was for me the why I started to care the most about the issue is, is about protecting women. I, the idea that biological men are in toilets with, with them is unacceptable to me. So that was the thing that was sort of my hook in to the, to the topic on a personal level. What was yours? Really, it's what you said, the mutilation of the truth, which I like that. I might steal that line. I don't know. I hadn't thought of that yet. But to me, that's, that's the starting point. And that is the most important thing. And all the other stuff grows from that root. Once we uh, abandon truth as a society, then, you know, then, then all bets are off. And, and the whole reason why, the reason why it's terrible to do this to a child, the primary reason, like why is it a, why is it a terrible thing? to try to turn a 15-year-old girl into a boy. Well, because it's not possible, because she can't, she can't be a boy. She's not. So you, that's what makes it mutilation. That's what makes it. It's not medical treatment. It's mutilation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it's not true. Um, so I think that's, that's the starting point for me. It's just like, this is not true. It's not true, and that's, and that's why it matters. The thing that makes it really personal for me is, is the way that kids are affected by it. I have six kids, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they are, we homeschool them, and we do, my oldest kids are nine, so it's still relatively easy to shield them from a lot of this craziness. But eventually they're going to end up in the world and they're going to be subjected to this. And I, I hear from parents all the time just these horror stories of, you know, I raised my kid, I did everything right, I even homeschooled, I did whatever. And then uh, one day my daughter at 16 comes home and declares that she's a boy. And from that moment, it's just she is devoured by this cult almost overnight and becomes unrecognizable. She wants nothing to do with us anymore. I've heard the story so many times, mm. and it's terrifying. It's horrific. Mm. You know, it's, uh, I think as a parent, it's like a fate worse than death mm. in a lot of ways. You're, you're losing your child. It's like a death of a child while they're still alive. And um, so that, that's what makes it, I suppose, personal for me. Mm. 
I, I, I suppose one thing that I've maybe we'll find disagreement on is uh, Dylan Mulvaney. And so Dylan Mulvaney is the trans TikTok personality. Mm-hmm. I think he's t- 26 years old. I think he's now made a lot of money uh, through sponsorships. And there was even an interview with him and Biden uh, last year, if my memory's uh, not yep. mistaken. So you went viral not long ago with a, a video, well, I would say attacking him, but you might disagree with that. And, yeah, you can say that. And I, I want to challenge you on this because okay. you say things like that he is a, a lifeless, unearthly, and eerie, and a kind of human deep fake. And you've also sort of doubled down and said that if, if, you, if you're the sort of person who thinks this is mean, then you yourself are part of the problem. In that case, I'm part of the problem because I do think that this is unnecessarily ad hominem or the attack on him was unnecessarily ad hominem. And uh, so I, I wanted to sort of understand why I'm part of the problem for thinking that you might have gone too far with, with Dylan. Well, the first question I have to ask you is, do you think... Do you think I'm wrong? What I said is, is wrong. Yes. What, which part of it? Because when I see Dylan Mulvaney, I see a temple of God. I see that he is loved by Christ and that he is possibly unwell and certainly being misguided by people around him. And, and so I feel it, uh, it makes me sad when I see that character. I see him, I don't think... He's unearthly. On the, on the contrary, I, I see him as, as, as precious. Just, I mean, this might sort of be, uh, I guess people might think it's condescending of me to think, but, but I sort of feel a bit sad for him. So, uh, so I do disagree, I think, with your take. Well, you're using the word him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he is a child of God, has human dignity, mm-hmm. which, which I agree with? Mm-hmm. What I'm referring to is this charade, this play that he's putting on Mm -hmm. where he and the video in particular that I was reacting to that started all this was keep in mind this is someone who is 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 putting on a caricature of womanhood uh, that is degrading and demeaning and women have told him how demeaning it is and he keeps on doing it and he monetizes it and profits off of it and he uses it for clicks and for uh, TikTok followers and all that Mm -hmm. And he doubles down, and then uh, and then finally he does a, a video talking about how what, what an attractive woman he is, and he's going to steal your husband. And he's talking, and he, he's very clearly talking to the women. He's sort of taunting the women who have told him how demeaning all this is to be caricatured the way that he is. Mm-hmm. That whole display is all the things that I described it as. And what makes it that? What makes it unearthly and eerie, and all the words that I use there? is that he is a he. He's a, he's a man, okay? So it's, it's this, this effort to flee from that and to put on this, this charade and this play that is, and you could use, you know, you might use a synonym that makes, means the same thing. It's disturbing, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, it's all those things. Well, I think, I think the difference is that you could say the display or that particular video was maybe... I mean, maybe you found it threatening. I saw it. I didn't find it threatening. I just thought it was sad. But if you, let's say you think that the video or the display is itself threatening, then you can criticize the video and the display. But it seemed to me that it was actually his very existence that you were challenging. And, and uh, do you think... It's not, it's not his existence. It's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. 
It's what he's choosing to do that I'm challenging and that I'm describing in language that I think is simply captures what he's doing. It's a, it is a simple description. Mm-hmm. Um, ad hominem would be would be a, a description that's out of bounds, that doesn't that doesn't apply, that's, that's said just for the, the sake of of being insulting. Um, I'm saying it because it is just true. And what I think, and the reason why I say that uh, this reaction of, well, it's mean, is part of the problem, is that this is, in fact, how we have gotten to this place in our culture because, because people are too afraid to just say what they actually think about this. And because we've been so afraid, and a lot of it is our, is our, you know, our, our politeness, our um, empathy being used against us, but it's been used against us in such a way that this, this lie, this insanity has taken over our culture. You know, this, this emotional manipulation of, well, you can't say that because it might really hurt their feelings and whatever, they might hurt themselves. You know, it's, it's, uh, that's what it is. It's an emotional blackmail. And we can't hope to get to a point where truth prevails in our culture until we're willing to say, I'm not going to be blackmailed, okay, for the same reason we don't negotiate with terrorists. This is like an emotional terrorism that they're engaging in. And so we have to say, as rough as it might sound, we're not going to play that game. You're not going to manipulate us. Here's the truth about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And lay the cards on the table. The other thing I'd also say about Dylan Mulvaney is that um, you said that he's being manipulated. Right? I think that's what you said. Yes. Well, I said, I said, I imagine he's being misguided by people. Misguided. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, but what I do know is that he is misguiding other people. Okay, so whatever, what got him to this state, I'm not sure exactly. But he is manipulating and misguiding. He is now a proponent of this, this thing. Mm-hmm. So he's not just Dylan Mulvaney. He now wants to turn, he wants to recruit other people to be Dylan Mulvaney. Okay, he wants to do that with my kids and anyone else's kids. Um, that's why he's at the White House shilling for gender-affirming care for minors, which is, in other words, mutilating and castrating children. So once you do that, you're engaging in politics, you're a public figure, you are now a representative of this idea. That also gives me even more, I believe, moral license to be brutally honest with you, especially as a father, when I perceive you as a threat to my children, which the proponents of this movement are, then I'm not going to apologize for any language that I use in opposing that. Do you think that it's possible to sort of have a non-binary approach where it's not so drastic all the way? So another way of thinking of it would be those people who are unsure about the issue. Or it's, you know, it's quite an intimidating issue if you're coming into it. Like, well, I remember when I first came into it, it's puzzling. The language is new and, and weird. And, and if their first entry point is to see you going after... Now, I agree, he's in the public domain. So his ideas are up for uh, scrutiny. And, and in fact, that's, if you go into the public domain of ideas, you totally Not just his ideas, his appearances too. Because he is making videos, and again, profiting off of them, monetizing them, where he's saying, what an attractive woman I am. Look at me, I'm going to steal your husband. Mm-hmm. Okay? You, you, have now, you have now entered, you have, not just your ideas, you have entered yourself and your appearance. Okay? And so I'm allowed to respond to that. It just, it, it, even if it was a public figure, if someone comes up to me and says, aren't I so attractive? I'm going to answer you honestly. Don't ask the question if you don't want an answer. 
But especially if you're doing it on a public stage, then you have now, uh, you know, you have sort of entered that into to evidence now. You've, you've, you've brought that up in the court of public opinion. You've entered that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to have it. But I, I know I just cut you off. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, I, I just, I, I, I still would land, I, I'm not fully convinced in your direction because I think that in, in, in the public discourse, and particularly as you are clearly a man on a mission, feels very passionately, and, and I happen to agree with you on a lot of, a lot of this, on this topic, about that we are, as a society, your society and my society, are really going off course and it's hurting children. And so if the objective is to bring people on side, and the objective is to change the course of society, how best do we achieve that? Do you think that that video that, uh, of you and, and, and you're doubling down is going to achieve that, that ends? Do you think it will work? Not all by itself, but it's part of a strategy that works, yeah. Now, what you, uh, what you said at the beginning that this is not a, it's, doesn't have to be a binary approach, uh, I, I agree with you on that, okay? So it's not, it's not like it's, should we be aggressive in our language as I was or not? There's a place for a lot of different approaches. And even what I said there and the way that I approached it, that's not how I'm going to go about it in every possible scenario. That is public stage. I'm a public figure talking to a camera to someone else who's also a public figure who is speaking to a camera. Mm -hmm. And we are both advocates for our worldview and for our idea. We are... We, we are combatants in a culture war, the two of us, Dylan Mulvaney and myself. And so that's going to call for a certain approach. If I'm just speaking personally to someone who's struggling with gender dysphoria... Would you be brutally honest? Would you say... Yeah, I'd be, I'd be very honest. Say you're eerie and, and unearthly. I, in, a, in, a, in, an, in a personal exchange, especially if there's no cameras around, it's just a personal exchange. with someone who's not a public figure, but not really an advocate for this. They're just like seeking counsel then I'm going to be honest with them. But obviously, I'm going to be less aggressive in the way that I approach it. And there are examples of that, by the way. I mean, I, I, was at, I can't remember which college I was, I was, but a few months ago, I was speaking at a college, and in the Q&As, a, a, a guy got up there, a kid, and had gender dysphoria, and he was obviously, like, hurting, and he was in pain. And I spoke with him honestly. I didn't lie to him. But it was a much softer approach because the situation called for it. Not every situation calls for it. And in a culture war, you cannot approach every situation as if you are having a one-on-one emotional conversation with a person who's seeking your counsel. Not every situation is like that. And I think that on a culture-wide level, the more aggressive approach is not only morally justified, I'm 100% sure of that. I'm also 100% sure that it's a good strategy because number one, it, it mobilizes your own side. You know, people say, don't preach to the choir. You know, you don't want to preach to the choir. Well, well, no, you should preach to the choir. The choir is in the church. Like, they're, they're the first ones who need to be on your side. If you don't even have the choir on your side, then you're in trouble. Um, and the people in the pews, you need to preach to them. Uh, what you don't want to do is calibrate your message, water it down to try to appeal to people that are walking outside on the sidewalk. And in, and in, the, in the process, you're demoralizing the people who are in the church. And actually, in fact, that's what actual churches have been doing for years. And it's why they're dying. And uh, 
It's what conservatism has also been doing. Um, I think you need to you need to mobilize the troops, as it were, and part of that is using aggressive language. And the other thing I would also say, one one last point, is the idea that being more that being nicer and uh, more gentle that that's how you win. That is utterly refuted by the fact that we that we right now live in a culture that's dominated by the left, and that's not how they did it. They didn't do it through kindness and winning uh, flies with honey and all that. They did it by being aggressive and bold and by painting their opposition's argument, by using a tone that communicates that their opposition's argument is not just wrong, but morally deranged and insane. That's how, they'll, that's how the left will treat you. Mm-hmm. You say something they disagree with. You're not just wrong. You are a monster. Mm-hmm. And you're saying something that doesn't even deserve to be taken into consideration. Say what you want about it. That strategy is very effective. It's been proven effective. The difference is that they do that to us dishonestly. Like they're painting, they, we can say something that's true and they react to it as if it's the most insane thing they've ever heard. Meanwhile, they're saying things that are actually insane and we, you know, we soft pedal our response to lend it legitimacy. Mm-hmm. I'm saying we should throw the exact same strategy back at them because in, in, not only does it work, but in their case, it's actually warranted. What they're saying is insane, nightmarish, madness and we should does it work though because so what you're you're saying is the left have been doing this to conservatives for a long time so we're going to do exactly the same thing because we're actually we think we're right on this issue but is it going to actually make things better or is it just going to lead to more uh isn't it just uh thesis and antithesis instead of the synthesis synthesis you're adding fuel to the fire that's going to escalate the situation rather than de-escalate and, and is, is, there a, is there sort of a, a put, putting your arm out across the aisle type moment that's possible or is it, do we need to no, I, well, I, double yeah, maybe, down? Is that, is that, maybe, that's why I, I'm talking about this binary. I don't, I'm not totally convinced that the, the way to oppose it, and that's why I think you were very effective in your film, What is a Woman? Because it's actually, it's a fun film. You, le- you let everyone speak for themselves and so the audience makes up their mind. So it's actually very effective. And, and, and actually, almost, I would say, that is the non-binary. That's the middle. I know you created the film and you edited it. So in a sense, you had a control. But actually, it was, it was, that I'm sure would have had a lot bigger impact in trying to bring people who were unsure, who didn't understand the issue, onto understanding it from, from how you see it. So I, I can see that as effective. Whereas this, I worry it would actually push people away. Well, that's why I say not, it's, you're not going to have one strategy for every given situation. And uh, for a film, you know, we decided early on that the most effective thing for a film, um, in particular, we, we are also making a piece of entertainment. We want it to have an impact, but part of having an impact is to, for it to be effective as a piece of entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I think conservatives often, that, that's where they tend to fail when they try to make uh, missional sort of uh, inter- pieces of content, where they, they put the mission way ahead of the actual entertainment value. And then you just end up with a, with a sermon. So we didn't want to do that. And so that's what we decided to do with, with What is Woman. But also make no mistake that this was not, no one is pretending that this was actually an objective um, exploration of the issue as if I was like a neutral observer. I didn't have a point of view. I did. Mm-hmm. Like I had an intention in mind. I, want, I wanted to do something. I, this was, a, this was a, also a, a, a salvo in the culture war. Um, and it was intended to be. And that we had a certain strategy and we executed it. But... Different strategies call for different things. And when I'm, when I'm speaking, when I'm doing a podcast, 
and I'm, it's, I'm giving my point of view, and I'm, again, addressing someone who is someone on the other side and is a, a powerful, in their own way, advocate for that position, I'm not going to take the pose of someone who's neutrally asking questions. I'm, I am aggressively meeting it head on. To your question about uh, is, there, is there a moment of, of extending a hand, I think no, there's not. Uh, there, there is no compromise on this issue because either men are men and women are women or not. Either biological sex exists or it doesn't. Either it's possible for a man to become a woman or not. Like these are, these are, this is, this is a, that, that is a binary choice. It's either, it's either yes or no. And any compromise in the middle, like it, when truth compromises with falsehood, any, any compromise is a victory for falsehood because any, any step you take away from the truth, you are, you are now in the realm of falsehood. It might be degrees, you know, it's like some ideas are crazier than others but it's still false. The worry um, for me to hear that is that, that I, you know, I've just come from New York, uh, surrounded by progressives. They believe that they are speaking the truth. So if everyone thinks they're speaking the truth, and, and, and you know, I don't think putting your hand out means that you're agreeing to, the, to necessarily to what the other person says, but you're agreeing to enter into good faith discussion. And what I worry about being in and out of your great country is that the concept of truth, there's just two truths, there's two realities in this country. And I don't quite see how they're reconciled. Do you, do you see how they're reconciled? They don't. I agree with you. They can't be reconciled. But that, that's because there's only one truth. And there are a lot of people that are saying that, well, this is my truth. They're just wrong. And, and that's it. And uh, the only harmony that's possible is for them to come over to the side of truth or for people on the side of truth to go over to falsehood. Like, that, there's no, you know, there are the two sides, and then you have this vast canyon in the middle. And um, so there's no meeting in the middle. You try to meet in the middle, everybody just falls in. But there is, there is a, a potential for unity, but it, it involves one side just giving it up and going to the other. And I'm not... that's possible? Well, it's, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's possible. It's you possible. think it will happen? Not anytime soon. I mean, this is a generational struggle. But I'm, I, I have my flag planted on what I know is the truth. And I'm not leaving it. I'm not, I'm not going to walk in an, an inch away from it. And so if you want to be united with me, you need to come to me. That's my I will extend my hand to bring you over here. I'm not going to meet you in the middle. And I'm not going over there. I'm not even going to walk an inch towards you. And uh, I, I do think that generationally, on a generational level, we can achieve victory that way. Or, or not. I mean, it's not guaranteed. And so maybe eventually those of us who are standing next to that flag, we're going to be standing there completely alone and isolated as the losers in the great cultural struggle. And if that happens, I don't, I don't think it will ultimately, but if it does, it does. But we haven't given up the truth. You know, there's just, there's no victory. Mm. There's no victory. No real victory is possible if you abandon the truth. Mm. Well, I want to ask you also uh, about the state of conservative media and free speech, actually, in your country. Of course, the country where free speech is uh, enshrined in the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. And yet, we saw in the Twitter files that conservative voices are muted or trends blacklisted or shadow banned. And also, there was a story last week about Global Disinformation Index, which is... Fund, it's partly funded by the U.S. State Department, 
where they list problematic, or I think the, the term they use is riskiest uh, media companies, and the Daily Wire being one of the most, it included the New York Post, who published and had the Hunter Biden uh, story censored. And being at the Daily Wire, I wondered how it feels from the inside. Do you feel like your voice is being censored? And what does that mean, practically speaking, for your, for your work? I, I certainly feel the attempts. We feel the attempts to suppress. And, uh, and it, it, yeah, it comes under the guise of, uh, often com- comes under the, under the guise of, you know, fact-checking, uh, uh, combating misinformation. But we know that when they talk about misinformation, they just mean information that they don't, you know, when the powers that be say misinformation, mm. they, mean, they mean information that is inconvenient to our narrative is what they mean by misinformation. It's such and, a bizarre term because it's just, you just mean propaganda, like, what is it? It's just a new word for fake news or for propaganda, but it's used by... Yeah, allegedly, it means yeah. something that's not true. And, and, mm. You know, misinformation. So it's a lie. Is, there's either truth or there's a lie. Right, it's a lie. Yeah. But then, you know, the problem when you have a, uh, a people that have taken upon themselves to differentiate misinformation from information, it's, well, how do you trust their judgment? Why should we trust them? And uh, most of the people that have declared themselves the, you know, official fact checkers, I don't trust them at all because they're obviously partisan. So we, we feel that, that effort, but fortunately, it's, I think it was becoming harder and harder for them to actually suppress speech, you know, and um, especially as we're building the Daily Wire, we have, you know, over a million subscribers now. And um, I think conservatives and media in particular are starting to realize this. You need to build your own platforms. It's always precarious when you're relying on these platforms that are owned by people that hate us. And uh, at any moment, they could just hit a button and we're erased from mm. existence effectively. So ultimately, the answer is to break ourselves of that dependence. But that, that is also a slow process. You know? the, 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 the thing that I know in Britain, I think, it's, I think they're called Love Not Hate, but they, they've been running smear campaigns against GB News. But what they do is they stop companies from having their advertising on the channels. And that's where the real hit is because it means you can't generate the same sort of money so that to run the, run the new institution as you're, as you're doing. And I think that's actually specifically for this new global disinformation index, which is the issue, is that they're advising advertising companies not to put their uh, you know, adverts on, on such and such channels. We've seen this with Fox News, Fox News for forever, I guess, which is why they got those sort of adverts about pillows and coins and, and, and nothing else. Is, is that, does that, do you feel that, Brunt? Um, yeah, we feel uh, it's, it's definitely clear that there are some, you know, major brands, a lot of them, that just, they won't go anywhere near anything that smells of conservatism. And largely because of efforts by these, you know, organizations putting the pressure on them. But that also goes back to, that's another reason for building your own platform where you're not, well, you don't have, most conservatives in media and just even not in media, it's like you're, you're dependent on platforms run by people who hate you and also advertisers who hate you. And it just becomes, it's, a, it's an untenable situation in the, in the long run. Mm. You're completely vulnerable. Having, so, having said that, on, on, the, on the other side is you've got millions of subscribers on YouTube, Spotify, and uh, all the social media platforms. So actually, it's maybe not as bad as some people may think it is. Yeah, you can, right now, as it stands right now, you can uh, 
you can navigate. It's it's navigable, and but it still feels like I don't have any any illusion that I don't know. It's hard for me to put timeline on it, but but ten years from now, it's hard for me to imagine that there are still going to be people doing like what we do on YouTube because mm-hmm. at a certain point, they're just going to cut it off and say we can't. You're, you're being you're. Your audience has grown grown too much, and you're being effective, and we just we can't allow it anymore. So we're going to cut you off, which just puts a little more urgency in you know getting your own platforms built. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you know one of the platforms where it was becoming almost impossible to navigate the kind of censorship regime was was Twitter, um, where it got to a point where you know you weren't even allowed to say if you if you said that a male is a man, you're banned permanently. That kind of thing. But then Elon Musk took over, and um, a lot of that has been tamped down. That's literally true, by the way. There's an exa- famous example in Britain was the Irish comedian Graham Linehan, who's actually been a guest on this show. He got banned, suspended from Twitter for tweeting, men aren't women, though. Yep. And, and there's plenty of other examples of it. And it's sort of Yeah, the, it's interesting that so Twitter went that direction, and now we know what happened with Elon Musk. The other platforms, aside from, I'm not an expert in all these platforms' rules, but and I tend to just do, I, I just make my content, I put it out there, and they're going to do what they're going to do with it, the platforms, I mean. But the other platforms, aside from TikTok, haven't gone that far to just flat out say, like on YouTube, I know that for a fact. Because if YouTube made a rule saying, you're not allowed to, quote unquote, misgender a trans person, then I'd be, I would have been banned 50 times over. They haven't flipped that switch yet. Mm. I don't know when they will or if they ever will. I suspect eventually they will. Mm. Um, so, finishing on a positive note, Matt Walsh, what are you excited about? What's next? What, when's the next film? What, what projects are you working on? What, what have you got your eyes on? It's a whole lot of things that I can't say anything <laughs> <Great>. about. <laughs> but uh, but I, I will say that, you know, last year was, I mean, it was just a, an incredible year for me personally and for the company. Because of the film? Because of the film. And, and we were just, you know, I... I, I, I uh, how many, able to, it, how many people watched it? Do you, have, do you know how, what the views are now? I don't know the exact number of people. I, I can say that in the first, just to give it a, I think the best frame of reference is that um, when the film came out, we had 600,000 subscribers to Daily Wire. Within a month of it being out, we were up uh, at about 900,000. Mm. You know, so we grew by 50% mm. in a month be, because of the film. Yeah. And uh, certainly millions have watched it. And then, and then you know, really the, 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 the major impact of the film, I think, has been all these clips that are out there been viewed tens of millions of times, if not more. Mm. So it was, that was that was a great, but but also just like just, just getting out and holding rallies and showing up at school boards and just actually being out, sort of on the street, mobilizing. Um, oh, so you're doing a lot of on the ground. Yeah, we've we, and I, I did a lot of that last year, and, and we've already done some this year, and I want to I want to continue doing that because that's the one thing that becomes uh, frustrating in the the media business is that you spend all day just talking about these things. And then you go home and you get up and you talk about it more. And at least for me, it becomes, it's, it's like personally demoralizing that that's all you do. I just, I need to be out there actually actively doing something. And uh, So what does that look like being out there actively? You, you're well, at the state capitol? Yeah, we've, uh, we, just a few examples. We held, uh, we held a big rally here in, in Nashville a couple months ago against child mutilation. We had thousands of people show up. I believe it's the biggest rally in, in the nation on this particular topic that's been held. Against what specifically? 
against uh, the transitioning of minors in the state. And then shortly after that, they introduced the bill to ban it. So we, we had a real impact there. I felt good about that. You know, I've gone to school board meetings to speak out against various forms of indoctrination that go on in the, in the, in the school boards. And of That's course, impactful. And, yeah. And of course, and also making the film was, uh, you know, something that's beyond just, you know, you do a podcast and you, you, you say a lot of things and then people watch it and hopefully it makes some kind of impact, but then they forget about it five seconds later. Mm. And you're just, you're churning out a lot of content that's forgotten very quickly. Mm. But to be able to make a piece of content that people will actually remember months down the line and hopefully years down the line is a lot more, uh, is a lot more fulfilling, I suppose. Hope to do more of that. But you can't tell me exactly what. No, I cannot say <laughs> a single word. Okay, well, uh, I better pay close attention. <laughs> yeah. Matt. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. To me. Thank you. Thank you.